you will learn over the next nine weeks through the summer about the different fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about in his letter to the Galatians. And one of the fruits of the Spirit that he talks about is the Spirit is the fruit of love. And that is the focus of today's message. In Galatians, he's, uh, the, the verse that we're looking at is Galatians 5, verse, uh, I think it's 20, 24. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and then he makes the list, love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you will know all of those by the end of this series. You can memorize the fruits of the Spirit. And any time that you're wondering if, uh, if, if you are living a Spirit-filled life, you can, you can say, do I exhibit the characteristics of joy or of love or peace, peace or patience or kindness or generosity or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control? So let's read today the context around that verse the, ver- the larger verse, uh, where it comes from in the letter to the Galatians, so we can understand uh, where, what all this means. So now we're going to start with Galatians 5, verse 13 through 25, or 23. For you were called to freedom. Uh, that's a great beginning, isn't it, for July 4th weekend? You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not let your freedom be an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love, become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say. And do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit. And what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not subject to the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Are you a for or against kind of person? If someone was asked to describe you, would they say that you're defined more by the things that you're for? Or are you defined more by the things that you're against? 
And what's the difference between being a for kind of person and an against kind of person? Paul is writing to a group of people in Galatia. It's called the Galatians because it's the church in Galatia. And he's writing this letter to them. And they are being led by a group of Christ followers who are being defined more by the things that they're against than the things that they're for. Have you ever met someone like this before? Have you ever met a person who, who it seems every word that comes out of their mouth, it's, they're talking about something that they're against? I don't like this. I don't like that. This is not the way it should be. That's not the way it should be. This is wrong. That is wrong. Everything that they're against is everything they talk about. And if you're anything like me, you've had moments in your life where you've become that person. You've found yourself sliding into that role of being against a lot of things and maybe even going for a whole day. Just and not even knowing it, thinking you're being quite positive, but, but, but saying all of the things that you're against. You see, Paul is saying that with the power of the Holy Spirit, we have a unique opportunity to be transformed. In the midst of all of our struggle with sin and darkness of this world, we have this opportunity to be transformed from people who are against kind of people, people who are against everything. And, 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 it's, and, and it doesn't change the fact that we're against, but it, the question is, what's defining us? Is it the thing that we're against or is it the thing that we're for? That is how Christ transformed the world. The tides of history changed completely with Jesus Christ. You see, the whole Old Testament, have you ever read through the whole entire Old Testament? I haven't. I've tried, trust me. I know I've skipped some very boring things and I just flipped through it. But I tried, I tried. And I've read most of it. I think every, and maybe I've read the whole Old Testament. But the basic message I get from reading through the Old Testament is, boy, that guy really screwed up. Again, we screwed up again. Here we are again, screwing up again. And then we're messing up again. And then we're going to mess up a little more. Oh, let's see. Hey, why don't we replace God with kings? Oh, that was a dumb idea. Let's try to replace God with judges. No, that's not going to work all. And it's like, feels like even modern day history. Let's replace God with presidents. That's a good idea. No, that's not going to do. Let's replace the Bible with the constitution. That's not going to work either, is it? (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? Like the, the idea is that if we are without Jesus Christ in our life, if you take out Jesus Christ, there's, there's only mistakes. There's only flubs. There's only mess-ups. Sorry, that sounds kind of against, doesn't it? But it's real. But with Jesus Christ, when he changed the tides of history, he basically came into this world and he demonstrated how we should live our life. You could look at Jesus Christ's life and you could see the perfect example of how you should respond to the negativity of this world, how you should respond to the sickness of this world. Thank you, Sophia, for that incredible testimony. How you should respond to the hurt and the pain and the poverty of this world. When you look at Jesus Christ, you find the perfect example of how to move and how to act and how to be in this world. And suddenly you're you're not just surrounded with all of this information about how not to do everything. And, And as a parent, I'm learning that that's not the best way to raise kids, by the way. Just telling them, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. It doesn't even work, really. It's not even that successful. And Paul is telling us that the key to life, to, to live, leaving, or leading a fruitful life, is to keep our eyes on the prize, to keep our focus on Jesus Christ, to keep headed in the direction of Jesus Christ. And when we're in our darkest time, we need to look toward the light. 
I had the great opportunity recently to participate in the San Marino Community Church Golf Tournament. Well, it wasn't really a tournament, tournament, but everybody was competing and keeping score. So, yes, it was. And there was a prize for the person who won. So, was it a tournament? I think so. And I had a great time, mostly because of the grace of my fellow golfers who were like, you're doing great. No, I wasn't. But I love golf. I really do love golf. And, uh, and one thing that I discovered when I was golfing is that there were, t- there were two ways to approach a swing, basically. The first way was thinking about all the things that I might mess up on. So I get up there and I think, boy, this is a crooked club. I wonder if the club is long enough for me. I wonder if I'm too tall for this club. I wonder if it's, this day is going to get any hotter. Boy, that's a really small ball. Did I tee it up right? Is it going to fall off? If I hit the divot on this country club golf course, are they going to kick me out? I'm wondering if they're waiting too long, the people. Are they getting impatient while I'm waiting and thinking about how I should hit this ball? I I, I wonder if I'm going too fast or I should slow down. Don't hit it too hard. Don't hit it too soft. Make sure that you're going the right direction. Whatever you do, don't go right. Don't go left. Oh, whatever you do, don't go in the sand trap. Uh, Make sure that you do not hit it in the water. And be sure that when you hit it, don't hit it so bad that you actually hit some of the people that are watching. And if you hit some of the people watching, just don't kill them. Because and But if you do hit them and they don't die, make sure you don't laugh. I mean, because that would be the worst thing that you could possibly do. Anyway, let's go and do this golf swing and fail. (laughs) Right? And I realized that the best swings I had were when I was able to block out all of, and, and all of the bad things, all of the things that could have gone wrong. And it's not that those things would have been, would have been right. <laughs> not suddenly that I'm blocking it out and if I hit it in the sand, it's a good thing. But the reality is that I'm starting to focus in on that flag, that flag of white hope, as they say in golf, way, way down at the very end, just to give you a wee bit of hope. But I'm focusing in on the hope. I'm focusing in on the solution. And what happened in Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ came and showed us how to do a perfect swing. He showed us how it's done. He showed us how to play this game. And through Jesus Christ, we have the model of a perfect swing. And so when we're looking at Jesus Christ and we're thinking about Jesus Christ, we play better golf. No, that's not the message of this sermon. Sorry. Uh, When we are looking at Jesus Christ, we live a more fruitful life. And we have a whole lot less missed shots when we're looking at Jesus Christ. See, there are some people that go through their life, their whole entire life, and all they're thinking about is all the things that they're doing wrong and beating themselves up. And honestly, I think as Christians, a lot of times I see a lot of Christians and I say, you're just being too hard on yourself. You're not even extending the grace of God to yourself that God is extending to you and asking you to extend to other people. You're just beating yourself up all the time. And that's not how to grow in faith. That's not how you grow in spirituality. That's not how you grow in maturity. And Paul is saying there was this group of people in Galatia that were saying, hey, you know what? We've got to follow the Ten Commandments, and we've got to follow all the laws of the Old Testament. And they broke them down into 677 laws, different laws. And if you followed all of these laws and you didn't mess up on any of those laws, suddenly you were going to find yourself this beautiful, righteous person. Jesus Christ came in, is what Paul says. Jesus Christ came into all of that scenario, and he said... No. The way to do this thing is to focus in on the one commandment. Just the one. And if you focus in on this commandment, then all the other stuff is going to follow. You don't have to worry about the other stuff. You don't have to be burdened down by all the other stuff. See, Paul is saying we were set free from the burdens of all of this 
by the one command of Jesus Christ. And what is the command? To love one another. To care for one another. To serve one another. And it's amazing to me, this is a Holy Spirit moment. The last week we were talking about being enslaved to God, right? And this week, we're talking about being enslaved to one another. And Jesus is telling us, and Paul is telling us that what Jesus wants us to do is to be enslaved to one another. That when we are enslaved to God, when we serve God, God says, okay, you're serving me. Now what I want you to do is I want you to serve one another. I want you to love one another and care for one another and walk through life with one another. Now, one example that I can think of in terms of how our life can get healthier when we start to focus in on the needs of others. It sounds kind of contradictory. Doesn't it make more sense that if you just focused in on your wounds and you just just spent all of your life focusing in on how you were messing up and how you were a big screw-up, that somehow you would become better. But the image that I can think of is someone who has a splinter in their finger. And there's just that last little piece of splinter in there, and they're just trying to get it out. Um, just do this. This is too gross. But anyway, the idea they're just messing with it, and it's getting more painful and maybe infected, but just, just, it's just getting, it's just consuming all of their attention. And they're having a grumpy day because of it, and it just hurts. And so they're sitting out in front of the church. Imagine they're sitting in front of the church, and they're obsessed with their pain. And suddenly there's a car crash. Not horrible, but a car crash nonetheless. And there's families involved and kids and, and, and parents. And so, so this person jumps up and runs and serves and starts saying, hey, can I call the police for you? Are you okay? Can I get you some water? Oh, you know, is there any way that I could pray for you? And maybe they help someone get to the hospital or they walk through the day with someone. And, and over the next couple of days, they're praying for these people. These people won't leave their minds. And so in, as a result, they maybe bring them a dinner to make their life a little easier. They bring them a cooked meal. And, and, and then four days later, they look back after they've been caring for these other people. They look back at that wound that otherwise, if they had not been doing this, they would have been completely obsessed with. And it's gone. It's healed. It's been taken care of. God took care of that. So that's the image of someone who is, is being healed in the process of serving others. And the alternative to this is that we spend a life of seeing the world around us as something to be separated from as something that we cannot touch and we cannot be near and and as a result we actually see sometimes and this is the corollary what we should what I, to be against <laughs> but the idea that other people are wicked and other people are bad and so what we're going to do is we're going to just they don't deserve anything so we're just going to push them down and and my job in life is self-survival the job in life is to survive and to get to the top of the corporate ladder or the social ladder or whatever ladder it is that we're trying to climb to the top of in order for survival. And the image that I can get uh, that is so powerful is, the, have you seen those baskets of crabs in New Orleans? Has anyone seen those just big baskets of crabs? You know what's amazing about those, those crabs is they can climb up slippery rocks right outside of the ocean. Just pfft, no problem. They're just like hanging there. Have you ever seen crabs just hanging on the side of the rock? They're like, no problem. But they can't climb out of these baskets. And the reason is not because of the baskets. They're just normal big baskets. It's because of the other crabs. See, they don't even need lids on those baskets. Because the crabs, the minute they get to the top of the basket, another crab will reach up and grab them and pull them back into the basket, trying to get themselves out. 
That's what life is like without Jesus Christ. That's how God transforms our world. Otherwise, we're a bunch of crabs just pulling each other back into the basket. And the image that Jesus Christ calls us to is to love one another and to serve one another and to lift each other up. And to put ourselves below others and to to help other people to, to receive and enjoy freedom and love and hope and harmony. And so there were these Galatian people that these Galatian people who were part of the church in Galatia, they could have had a cooler church name, honestly. Like I can think of like the edge. That would have been a cooler name. <clears throat> we should work on that one. But they thought the way in order to help the world was to tell them all the things they were doing wrong. <coughs> That's not what Jesus Christ is calling us to. Can someone uh, help me with a glass of water? (coughs) I could just drink this. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that one was not going to go away. Thank you. That was nice. This is the scripture in which we are commanded to love one another. In Romans chapter 13, it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. So the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. See, it's perfect that we're beginning this series with love because love is this one thing that's not just a fruit of the Spirit, but it also seems to be the catalyst. It seems to be the number one thing that goes into building up the fruits of the Spirit in our life. See, when we love one another, we are fulfilling all of God's wishes for our life. When we serve each other, we're fulfilling all of the purposes that God had ever given to us. When we take care of one another, we are living a life that God smiles on. And sometimes we may get lost in how we should love one another, and we may, may have struggles about how should we do this? What is the best way to, to love the person next to me? And thank God that we have the person of Jesus Christ, that we have the witness and testimony of those who saw and met and talked to Jesus Christ, and that we can see how Jesus Christ responded to the world around him. And that we can keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ every step of the way. And we can talk about it and encourage each other and work through these things. And over time, we discovered the most important thing. That our job is actually to reflect the love of God to the world around us. Essentially, God is for us. God is for us. Despite all the stuff that we've done. And that our job is to be for each other and to be for Jesus Christ to each other. Let us, I'll invite the band to come up here as we conclude in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus,
We pray that you would help us today in the midst of our struggles with the darkness of this world and our pain and our wounds and our hurt. Help us in the, in the midst of all of our desire to speak to the world. But Lord, we pray that you would refine our language and refine our thoughts so that we would be transformed from a people who are otherwise predisposed to being against so much and against everything only defined by those things. But Lord, we pray that you would shape us. You are the God who, are, who is for us 100%. That you would shape our minds and our hearts and our souls. And mysteriously, through each other's hands, may we receive your love. May we experience what it means to be a bo- part of the body of Christ. So we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen.